Greetings! Electromagnetic pulses, or EMPs for short, are our hot topic for today. What are they? How do they work? What could they mean for our electrical infrastructure? And do they possibly have some defensive uses? Joining us is Dr. Sarah Seguin, expert in the field of electromagnetic compatibility, who will help discuss these questions and more today on Mind Matters News. Greetings! EMPs, or electromagnetic pulses, come from lightning, the sun, nuclear explosions, and man-made weapons. We hear about EMPs disabling electronics. We hear that your cell phone would be wrecked and your car would be disabled because the electronics would be fried. And I tell you, as an electrical engineer uh, not specializing in this area, the more I look into this, the more concerned I become. Our guest today to talk about this is Dr. Sarah Sigwin. She is an expert in the area of electromagnetic compatibility. Dr. Siegwin was formerly on the faculty at the University of Kansas. She then developed the software business Third Iron and now is doing research at Baylor University. Sarah, welcome welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited and happy to be here. I appreciate the time. Oh, this is great. I think that uh, we're going to scare a lot of people, don't you? <laughs> well... I, I think that uh, knowledge is power and not necessarily scary. Okay. Yes. I guess that there's a there's truth in that also. Uh, you know, both you and I are electrical engineers, and we are pretty diverse. The field of electrical engineering is, well, in our parent society, the IEEE, the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, has, I have to say this, over 400,000 members, and it's divided into numerous individual specialty societies. And one of them dealing with EMPs is subsumed in the society dealing with electromagnetic compatibility. Now you're you're in that society. You've held office in the IEEE Electromagnetic Compatibility Society. And the study of EMP technology lives in this society. Before talking about EMPs, let's be a little bit more general and just define what electromagnetic compatibility is and why electrical engineers need a separate society to study electromagnetic compatibility. Could you describe the general field of electromagnetic compatibility? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, It's a very large field. And a note that I am currently chair of the Spectrum Engineering Committee, TC6, subcommittee of electromagnetic, the IEEE EMC Society, electromagnetic compatibility. So... EMC, I always like to describe it the best when I was teaching the class at at Kansas. Basically, electromagnetic compatibility is um, based on the fact that all active devices radiate electromagnetic energy. And the fact that I am talking to you through my computer and I have a cell phone right next to me and my microphone is working and everything is just working seamlessly is electromagnetic compatibility. And it's non-trivial. Basically, all of these devices, by just simply being turned on, radiate electromagnetic energy. And then this electromagnetic energy, we want it to not interfere with other devices. Uh, 
a very good example of an electromagnetic compatibility issue that generally like we've decided not to fix because it's for like cheap speakers is I think all of us have set our cell phone next to an inexpensive speaker and right before it rings or maybe before we receive a text message, you hear a little bit of buzz, right? Well, that's because those speakers aren't shielded against that energy that is being induced within that circuit from your cell phone. Now, of course, there's expensive speakers that can handle this, but the generally like cheap computer speakers, et cetera, can't. So electromagnetic compatibility is basically the fact that we take for granted that all of our devices work together when we turn them on and there's no interference. So a specific type of electromagnetic compatibility is uh, the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse. What are EMPs? And um, I don't know, maybe you could discuss some of their sources. Well, uh, one of the biggest and most well-known sources for electromagnetic pulses are um, nuclear detonations. So, of course, a nuclear detonation, for the, it has all sorts of physical uh, issues, but before... Um, and when they were testing uh, the nuclear bomb originally, a nuclear detonation in the mid-1940s, it was discovered that semiconductor devices that were used to monitor these effects were actually destroyed. But they weren't actually destroyed by the physical blast. They were destroyed by the electromagnetic pulse that comes before the blast. Another source of electromagnetic pulses is lightning. And of course, we can have created... Uh, electromagnetic pulses. Uh, there have been some governments that have been working on that as well that have been in the news recently. Okay. Now, we, we hear that electromagnetic pulses fry our electronics, zap our electronics. What's the, what's the physics behind this? What is going on that uh, a, a electromagnetic pulse can disable your cell phone or your car or something like that? Well, again, it comes back to the whole electromagnetic compatibility issue here and how hardened your device is. So what happens is you have a very intense or powerful electromagnetic wave that's emitted from, for example, a nuclear detonation, or it's, it could be created with uh, electronics and a directional antenna. So then this intense electromagnetic wave basically causes current to be induced within the device. I've always heard that, for example, your AM radio is a result of electromagnetics being transmitted at the transmitter and you receive it. So it induces current in your radio. Yeah, that's exactly what happens with AM radio, FM radio, all of it. You're inducing current on the antenna that's receiving it. So an electromagnetic pulse is really just like a really strong transmission that's inducing currents on your electronics. Um, unfortunately, it's in a way that we don't like, and the electronics generally aren't hardened for this um, or expect it because it, it could be antennas are definite like problem places where a device could be vulnerable to EMPs. But in addition, just like, for example, if you think about a circuit board where there's a long trace to run um, currents across, uh, EMPs could also induce currents there. Now, inducing currents on a particular conductor is not necessarily the problem. The problem is when the semiconductors aren't rated for those level of currents that are induced. 
and then could actually physically cause these electronics to fry. Like in the case in the early 1940s when they discovered what was happening in their nuclear detonation tests or mid-1940s. Yeah, you know, in, in prepping for our, our conversation here, I read that um, Enrico Fermi actually anticipated this and asked people to cover some of their electronics prior to the Manhattan Project explosion, which I thought was very insightful. Um, let's talk about EMPs at a personal level. If an EMP goes off, we hear these fear things. Will it fry my cell phone? Uh, could it cut off communication between cell phones? In other words, uh, screw up the infrastructure of communications. Could, would it disable my car? Would it erase my flash drives and my computer memory? Are, are, are all of these true or some of them true? Well, they could be true. It all depends on your proximity to the EMP. Because, of course, we know that the wave propagation decreases, right, the further away that you get from the source of the EMP. So if you're right next to the EMP, say a cell tower or your cell phone, your house, um, or, for example, a lightning strike creates electromagnetic pulses too. Another, that's a natural occurrence of electromagnetic pulses. Like, if you are right next to it, especially if you don't, your devices aren't hardened to it. For a lightning, for example, if it can conductively uh, go through your power system and you don't have protection through surge suppressors, then the answer is yes. But from a like whole system standpoint, could it completely bring down an entire area? Well, it really depends on the strength of the electromagnetic wave that it's the electromagnetic pulse. Okay, yeah, you, you, you've spoken a couple of times about hardening the electronics. How, how do you protect your electronics? Say you wanted to protect it. You hear that there's a bomb which is going to go off that's going to generate an electromagnetic pulse. What do you do with your cell phone to protect it? Well, you would want it to be preferably in a shielded room. <laughs> but okay. I don't know about you. I don't have a shielded room hanging around my house. <laughs> One thing that somebody somebody suggested to me is microwave ovens. You know, microwave ovens are surrounded by um, a shell, a so-called Faraday cage, I believe, that keeps the microwaves in. I think it should also keep the microwaves out. So I might go and put my cell phone in a microwave in order to protect it um, and, 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 and try to remember not to turn on the microwave oven while it's in there. Right. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely hurt your electronics um, <laughs> okay. and your microwave. But actually, that's not a bad idea. Um, microwave ovens, though, are designed to specifically shield at the frequency, uh, the resonance of water, because that's how they work. So it's 2.45 gigahertz. And so in general, it would probably do a pretty good job if you were far enough away from the EMP. So it basically, if it shields for 2.45 gigahertz, that means that you shield based on the wavelength. So 2.4 gigahertz, the wavelength is about 12 and a half centimeters. In general, like the rule of thumb is you make the aperture or the holes, this, the largest size. Um, for example, you know, you can all look into your microwave about a quarter wavelength of that. So in general, if you... That's for the highest frequency, so it would be protected for everything lower as well. In general, you can assume that. And so I think putting it in your microwave oven could be a really good choice for, for your cell phone, provided that other infrastructure survives. 
One of the uh, solutions I've also heard for protection is insertion of surge devices, uh, surge protectors. The idea is that it's the quick change in the electromagnetic pulse that does a lot of damage. And maybe by using surge detectors, you could protect your electronics. Is, is that true? Yes, it is definitely true, but you'd have to think about how the surge suppressor, um, what it's protecting against. So the surge protector is protecting against energy that comes from your outlets. Or some cases, people have whole house surge suppressors. Some laboratories have whole building surge suppressors. And so that assumes that, for example, the electromagnetic pulse has in or lightning which is also um got all those frequencies it's an electromagnetic pulse of sorts um it induced current onto the power lines and then it means that these surge suppressors are protecting against the large current that has been induced induced on the power lines from getting to your device and then therefore uh causing it damage through its power supply so this would only work if there was a there, there was an EMP explosion and it affected a say a power station that generated a surge on the line. If you were directly in the path of the EMP, it would fry your electronics and your cell phone directly. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or it could. Um, like every that that is the part of the study of electromagnetic compatibility. Coming back to that is figuring out where devices are vulnerable. That's a whole study, and then basically hardening them where they're vulnerable. So, for example, your cell phone is probably going to be more vulnerable at the frequencies that it receives. Okay. So, like, um, it receives Wi-Fi at about two point four gigahertz, and so depending how close you are and how much of that frequency is in the electromagnetic pulse, for sure, you could definitely, if you're in the direct path of that intense radiated electromagnetic energy, you your devices could definitely be fried without being coupled through the power line. It just depends on where the energy is coming from. Would, would an EMP destroy a flash drive? Do you know? An EMP could destroy a flash drive. More likely, it would probably wouldn't destroy the specific like data that's stored, but it it could uh, destroy the electronics. In which case, you'd have to like fix the electronics to recover the data. So for for all intents and purposes, it is destroyed the data. Okay, okay. You know, I was having a a conversation. I I believe this was a, with a guy with Microsoft. We were talking about the best way to store files. And it used to be you used little floppy disks, and then these floppy disks, you had USB ports that could have up to a gigabyte on them. And uh, now you can get them at terabytes, buy them on Amazon.com. And I found out that I tried to store some of my stuff on such devices. I went back in a year or two, and it was totally unreadable. I don't know where it went, but it just destroyed. And then along came read-writable CDs and DVDs, and I tried to store a lot of stuff on those. And that also, in a couple of years, turned out to be no good. And he said that the best place probably to store your stuff is on the cloud. And I'm wondering, and I don't know, and I... You, you probably don't know either whether the cloud is protected from these EMPs. 
Well, that's a really excellent question. As a co-owner of a software company that he is in the cloud, I have a little knowledge of the cloud, but I am by no means a software engineer or a data center engineer. Uh, so what's interesting about the cloud is that in general, they have distributed data services. And these distributed data services means that your data is not in any one place. And so by storing your data in the cloud, an EMP would have to capture everywhere that your data is. So it'd be unlikely. And in general, these data centers, um, I know for Amazon AWS, I think there's one in Virginia. For the In general, these, or at least somewhere out east, these data centers uh, do have quite a bit of protection and security. Now, is your data safe from hackers? Uh, that's a different question yeah, for a different right. podcast, but you, your data would be more protected from uh, electromagnetic pulse by storing it in the cloud. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I had heard this too that, that like Microsoft has like three centers or more, three or more centers, and they they would have it on the East Coast, the West Coast, and in the South. I should have I should have looked this up, but I didn't. And that there is a redundancy there, and that if you lose one of these sites, well, you can still regain your information from another site. So they might be doing that instead of electromagnetic compatibility hardening. I, it's just a thought. I think they do a little bit of both. I have known folks who work for IBM who work in their data centers. They also have big data centers in the cloud as well. And in general, like they are concerned about electromagnetic compatibility. They do employ EMC engineers. I know folks uh, who, who work there or have worked there. And so they do harden them a bit just by the fact that these really industrial servers just need to be hardened to work in a large room with a ton of servers. So it's kind of a combination, but I imagine they don't necessarily have like military protection, if you will. In 1989, our own son electromagnetically disrupted the U.S. power grid. Something scientists call a coronal mass ejection, CME, from the sun was about the size of 36 Earths, and it erupted from the sun's surface. It set off a geomagnetic superstorm. The result was what scientists called geomagnetically induced currents on Earth. These electrical surges infiltrated power grids all over North America and Northern Europe and even destroyed a transformer at a nuclear power plant in New Jersey. Even more seriously, Canada's Hydro-Quebec power grid crashed when the safety systems sensed a power overload caused by the ground currents. The failure knocked out electricity to 6 million people in northeastern Canada for as long as nine hours. Now, this was nature. EMPs come from man-made nuclear explosions. Here and there, we hear about EMPs from nuclear explosions frying the power grid and all of our electronics. A worst-case scenario was reported by a federal committee called the National Coordinating Center for Communications, the NCC. This is a 2019 report. They talk about high-altitude EMPs, and you take the H from high-altitude and then put in the EMP, and you get a hemp. So they're talking about hemp risks. 
And this is a quote from their from their report. It says, hemp disruption and damage to critical infrastructures can occur across multiple time zones with one or more nuclear bombs exploded at high altitudes in the near region space. A single nuclear burst 250 miles above Kansas could destabilize much, if not most, of the U.S. power grid. Likewise, one hemp burst over North America could significantly disrupt regional or continental data infrastructures such as the internet and our television, radio, phone, and cellular networks. There the quote ends. Now, an explosion 250 miles above the Earth is about as high as the U.S. space station is from Earth. So the EMP just described would need to be detonated in outer space. Now, no one wants to militarize outer space, but as I point out in my book, The Case for Killer Robots, cases like this can result in threats from our adversaries and unfortunately force the issue. This is one of the many reasons former President Donald Trump formed the United States Space Force as a separate branch of the United States military. And this is not theory. This is not a bunch of physicists uh, scribbling on notepads with equations. There's experimental verification. We know EMPs from nuclear explosions zap electronics. A 1962 test of a 1.4 megaton bomb exploded 250 miles above the Pacific Ocean, disrupted global communications, and blew out streetlights on the ground in Hawaii. There weren't many satellites in 1962 but the explosion zapped some of them that were there. This included the British Aerial 1 satellite and a USA Telstar satellite. So today, we know that GPS is controlled by satellites, and so a thermonuclear bomb 250 miles above the Earth would destroy a lot of the satellites that's responsible for our GPS. Uh, This is one of the reasons, by the way, we have nuclear test ban treaties. I used to think that nuclear test ban treaties were put in place so that people wouldn't develop thermonuclear bombs anymore. Well, that's probably one of the reasons, but another one was every time you exploded one of these bombs, there was EMP effects in different parts of the world. Now, here comes the chilling part. Russia and China both have the technology to detonate an EMP from space. EMP threats from U.S. adversaries from less developed countries like North Korea and Iran would have to be detonated closer to the ground, but nevertheless could do severe damage. So I want to talk about EMP specifically in the power grid. An EMP miles above Kansas, above your former employer university campus, could wipe out the American power grid, according to this this report. Uh, More realistic, Uh, EMPs from U.S. adversaries would not be that powerful. Just in general, could you give us an overview? How vulnerable is the United States power grid to general EMPs? Well, it's really hard to know the answer to that question unless you're this specific power grid, right? So when I was looking into this a little bit, um, it really depends on the specific power grid. But in general, if you think about like, how easily an electromagnetic pulse could couple into the power grid, well, all you need is a really good conductor. Well, what do you need in the power grid? Well, to get electricity to folks, you need really good conductors. And we have them, um, many of them not buried. 
the the lines that are buried would have a little better shielding, but the ones, you know, of course, for really long lines, we bury our electrical lines in large cities and newer cities, of course. Uh, but you know, if we're running them for really long lengths, we're we're running them across fields, and they're they're in the sky, if you will. I mean, above the ground, anyways. So it really depends how each individual power transmission grid is hardened for electromagnetic pulses. And in the process of doing some research, I found a report by NRECA, which is one of America's uh, co-op. These electrical co-ops are are places that basically take care of power distribution, right? You have your power company, they do the uh, generation of the power, but then there's these various cooperatives across the United States that then basically figure out how to distribute this power, which is very non-trivial. Anyways, their conclusion from a 2019 report was that an electromagnetic pulse would not have widespread impact on the electrical grid. Now, I actually tend to agree with you that uh, an electromagnetic pulse put in the right place, knowing certain vulnerabilities of, for example, you know, certain local power distribution centers could take down a large portion of the grid. You would definitely want to go through city centers uh, to have the most impact. You know, when we drive by these power substations, um, I look over, and again, I'm not an expert in the field, but I don't see any shielding there. I don't see any protection. Yeah. So there's one not too far from my suburb, and I find it super fascinating. I don't know if they caught me looking one day, but they've actually <laughs> recently covered <laughs> uh, They've recently uh, covered the fence, so I can't look in. Um, but I find them super fascinating. And actually, when I'm just driving down the road, I love looking at these power lines and figuring out, you know, like now they mount cell towers on them as well. Um, and, and in general, I think that they are more concerned with lightning. They're probably more hardened for something like lightning, but the actual like terroristic threat, I don't think that they have spent too much time hardening the grid for that. That's a little bit scary. I, I in also prepping for this podcast, I ran across an article in Forbes and it says, and this was published in June, 2021. So it wasn't that long ago. Uh, there is a federal committee called the EMP Task Force on National and Homeland Security, and they issued a scary report specifically on China's ability to conduct an EMP attack in the United States. Now, according to Forbes, China now has super EMP weapons, and again, they might be in outer space. They have satellites in outer space. They also say that China knows how to protect itself against an EMP attack. So I, I have no idea what's happening in China, but apparently, according to Forbes, they're doing things about hardening their power grid, and they have developed protocols to conduct a first strike attack on the United States. It would be a devastating Pearl Harbor sort of incident should they ever choose to do that. That's, that's just chilling. Do you know if there's been any proactive attempts to protect the U.S. power grid? I, I am not privy to that information. I think that there has been, because there have been some recent reports uh, identifying the issue, I think that there has been some um, discussion. But are we putting funding into it? 
I'm, I'm, I question that. I think we should be, though. Yeah, hopefully. What, what's the physics behind EMPs frying the power grid? One of the places, I believe, is transformers. I hear a lot about EMP taking out transformers. What's the physics that happens that zaps transformers with EMPs? So you talked about China and possibly even they might have satellites that could direct the energy, which which is, is, is very terrifying to me too. And I can think about it actually being possible. It'd be expensive, but certainly for someone determined, maybe possible. Um, so if you like, honestly, like you could build something where you're just a person walking by with some dedicated antenna as well. And uh, in general, what the physics is, is it creates a very large electromagnetic wave that then is designed to couple into these transformers and these substations very well. So you would know in general, like how the substation works and you'd create a frequency that would couple in well. And in then you can literally induce the currents from that electromagnetic wave that then could actually just like completely take out the electronics. Um, and transformers, the big problem is, is the way it, I mean, you're an electrical engineer, you know how a transformer works, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I know enough to be dangerous, yes. Um, I, I think that that's all of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And so I, I'm wondering if the transformers, uh, it, it's just a thought. I don't know if this is what happens, but I would imagine that the wires would get so hot, they would melt the insulation and everything would be shorted out. Right. That I think that would probably be the one of the main mechanisms. It, it would just like have this huge current induced that then, let, yeah, shorts it out. And then once it's shorted out, then like nothing's going to work. And also you'd have um, big currents induced across the grid that way. And then you could, you know, take out other people's electronics near the substation as well. Now we think about EMPs originating from big nations like China and Russia, and uh, also from smaller countries, North Korea and potentially Iran. Uh, so this brings up the topic of terrorism. How much would a small EMP device cost a terrorist that wants to do some damage? Well, I think that you could probably do it for several thousand dollars and do a very directed EMP to something like the power grid or some building that you were trying to... Um, I, I, I don't want anybody to knock on my door because I'm definitely not thinking about doing this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but, but like you could definitely do it for, for several thousand dollars and you could direct it to a specific building just in the way that other terrorist attacks have been directed to specific buildings or specific stations in the past. Okay, well, that's that's a little bit scary. Now, for a few thousand dollars, if you could build an EMP, we're not talking about uh, explosions here, thermonuclear bombs going off. Rather, we're talking about uh, super antennas, if you will. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, you wouldn't. This is not talking about having any nuclear material. This is actually creating a very specific device that you know would affect the electronics that you want to affect. So you could create, um, for example, we've read that uh, Russia has created something which is basically a directed electromagnetic pulse for taking down UAVs 
at specific microwave frequencies. Um, so like what you could do, you would have to have some prior knowledge of the substation you want to take down or the building, but you could very specifically having some knowledge, which wouldn't be very difficult to get, um, spend, you know, many thousands and, and do some major damage if you chose a significant important target. And of course, I could name any number of those. And so could anybody listening to this podcast, but we would hope that no one would. <laughs> Hopefully, but uh, our adversaries sometimes are very creative. You know, getting back to the power grid, there is, as we mentioned, a lot of talk about improving the infrastructure in the United States. And one of the questions is, what would it take to harden the U.S. power grid? And I read one source, and I don't know about the validity of the source. There's so much fake news out here today, but this is from a place called the Foundation for Resilient Societies. And we will provide links on the podcast notes to a lot of the articles that we referenced here, so you can go and check out and verify this. But one source says that the first order cost model would be an overnight cost of EMP protecting the U.S. bulk electric system to be on the order of $255 billion. Now, when people get into billions and trillions, I think that they begin to lose focus on what that means. We are about trillion-dollar stimulus packages. And if you look at that, how much is a trillion? Is it bigger than a billion? Yeah, it's a thousand times bigger than a billion. But what does that mean? Well, $1 trillion, if we divided it between the 328 million people in the United States, is over $3,000 per capita. So if we were to have the United States citizenry pay for that $1 trillion, then we, each of us would have to, each man, woman, and baby would have to cough up $3,000. And so in order to fix the power grid, this one, um, one source says that it would be $776 per capita. And they're talking about $255 billion. So we have a long way to go. Uh, and that's scary. Finally, Sarah, how scared of you are EMPs and the vulnerability of the United States to EMPs as a specialist in electromagnetic compatibility on EMPs? I am worried. I think that we should put some funding after hardening our electrical grid and other important targets such as certain buildings, for example, government buildings. Uh to make sure that in the event of an electromagnetic pulse, if we truly are just going for the electromagnetic pulse and not like one attached to a, an explosion, which of course there's other issues <laughs> associated with that, I think that we should be putting some funding after that. And, and I am worried, but do I sleep at night? Well, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things to worry about that are <laughs> scarier than electromagnetic pulses. There are so many things to worry about. You got to pick one and work on it, right? <laughs> one of the uses of EMPs is defensive, and I'm pretty excited about it because it answers a question that I've had for quite a while, specifically, how do you deal with drone swarms? EMPs can be in the microwave frequency range Microwave ovens don't use EMPs, but the microwave radiation is contained in the oven by a Faraday cage. 
A Faraday cage is a metal surrounding that keeps the microwaves inside. It can also be used to keep microwaves from the outside from getting in. One question, not about specifically EMPs, but just in general, microwaves. Can a steady dose of low-power microwaves, not a pulse, but just a slow, uh, continuous exposure to microwaves, make us sick? It can. And there have been some studies, which you can even go to PubMed yourself and look up things like Havana syndrome and uh, look at it yourself. So the reason being is microwaves actually work by the fact that they operate at the resonant frequency of water, which is 2.45 gigahertz. And water is a polar molecule. And basically what happens is these microwaves generate electromagnetic energy at 2.45 gigahertz. And they have mixers that send it all over the metal cavity of the microwave. And then while these electromagnetic waves are bouncing around the cavity of the microwave, the polar molecule that is water will basically want to continuously realign itself which with the electromagnetic wave. And so this water molecule moving around then causes the food to heat up, which is why if you like put something that's not really high in water into your microwave, it doesn't heat up. So how does that relate to the human body? Well, I am not a physician or medical doctor, but in general, uh, most figures out there say that we as humans are made up of what, like 80% water. And so like continuously realigning our water molecules and heating us up could have very bad effects on us. Okay. But 2.45 gigahertz, does that sound like a familiar frequency to you as well? 2.4 gigahertz is actually Wi-Fi, right? So then you're like... So I wonder if people have done this uh, research into putting cell phones next to your head. And cell phones, of course, work on microwaves at the same frequency as your microwave oven. And is that going to fry your brain? (laughs) So at the power levels, in general, like, for example, one of the conferences I always go to uh, for IEEE, the EMC Symposium, um, they, they do have papers on this sort of thing. And you can Google for papers, go to Google Scholar or whatever, uh, for, for papers on this sort of thing. And in general, at the power levels that we are subjected to by our Wi-Fi, by our cell phones, in general, they probably aren't going to hurt us. Although the jury's They are still doing studies about that. But if you were to just increase the power a bit more, it is, it has been connected with all sorts of possible brain injury, unfortunately. So yes, microwaves can damage a human, but it has to be at the right power levels. At least that seems to be the answer in the relevant literature right now. Interesting. Yes, you mentioned, I think, the Havana studies where I think it was Russia is is suspected of using microwaves in Havana in 2016 to make some of the U.S. ambassadors sick. Uh, And that's where the Havana thing came from. One of the things I read in a Forbes article, uh, the Forbes article was entitled The Pentagon Fears That Deadly Microwave Weapons Are Undetectable. It says that the U.S. is concerned because the radiation that makes us sick, the microwave radiation, is hard to detect. Is this right? Can you detect these low doses of microwaves if, if say, for example, I'm in an embassy somewhere and I want to detect whether uh, some adversary is zapping me with a continuous stream of microwaves? 
So when the news originally broke, I've been kind of fascinated about this myself, about Havana syndrome, and then I kind of dug in more uh, to it. Um, I was fascinated with like, can we detect this? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, is I actually think that we can. I think that we could make little sensors that are like the size of a cigarette pack, if you will, or a gum pack, maybe a little larger, a couple of gum packs. Uh, and, and that if you kept it always on you, it could maybe have like, uh, for example, a warning when electromagnetic waves particularly microwaves went above a certain level. And so I I read that Forbes article as well. Thank you for giving me that Forbes article. Uh, but I, I disagree. I think that we could build detectors. And for example, it seems like what Russia is su- suspected of doing or some other combatant is that they deliberately focus the energy at the building, probably. So um, it seems to me you could also put certain detectors in a building because certainly microwaves that don't hurt us, like with our cell phones, those are measurable because if they weren't measurable, we wouldn't be having cell conversations, right? Exactly. I wouldn't be talking to you over the Wi-Fi. So when I read that, I was very skeptical. I mean, like, of course, maybe they know something I don't. And I'm sure they know a lot that I don't, but I do think that you could build a detector and I'm kind of fascinated with the possibility of doing that. Yeah, yeah you, you make a good point. If we, we already have microwave detectors, except they're not used for detectors, they're, those are our cell phones. They receive signals at microwave frequencies and our phones can detect them. So why can't we, why can't we monitor and detect signals at a higher level, the ones that make us sick? I would certainly think you could. Uh, in general, like if Apple, I think, locks it out the last time I checked. But in general, like you could get an Android device and put on a better Wi-Fi or they do already have Wi-Fi antennas and you can see the levels. You can walk around your house and see the levels of the Wi-Fi and find, for example, if you wanted to make your Wi-Fi better, find the low spots or the high spots and put repeaters where the low energy is. Yes. You know, I was doing some research with our mutual friend, Charlie Bayless, and we went out to the Waco airport and we turned on one of these devices that not only detected it, but could identify the cell phones. It was really spooky because we walked by and we got one name just out of the air. And we said, wonder who this is. So we Googled it and we found out he was a student at Baylor University. I mean, it's scary. If they could detect that, they should be able to detect uh, detect microwaves that hurt you. So I, I Yeah, I totally agree with you. So back to EMPs. We know that the low-level microwaves can have a long-term effect on you. What about an EMP? Well, an EMP, which is a pulse as opposed to a steady dose of microwaves, will that have an effect on humans? Well, you made a really good point. Um, Humans are really resilient. I mean, that's why we've done so well over the years. And so in general, what happens, and of course, as I said, I'm not a physician, but in general, it's time to exposure, right? So um, an EMP would be a very short event. So it probably, I mean, unless you were at the source of the EMP, that that might be different. But in general, um, for a very short event, people are probably going to be just fine. Like the the microwaves affecting those people, it was very long-term exposure at 
higher than normal microwaves that would normally be propagating like around your house for Wi-Fi or for your phone or whatever. But it was for a very long period of time. Whereas an EMP, like the whole idea behind it is it's a very brief event that causes large transient currents to be induced on the devices that are affected. Okay. And so we wouldn't have large currents induced in our biological selves is probably the answer, right? Yeah, probably not. Like I said, though, um, if you were right next to it, there is a possibility that an EMP could have an effect. But in general, over the widespread area that it had an effect, I don't think so. Okay. Well, let's talk a bit about EMPs in warfare. Clearly, anybody that has a capability of doing a thermonuclear bomb is going to be a potential source of EMP in a warfare scenario. Uh, There are also missiles, I understand, which can be launched and detonated, and their detonation gives a smaller EMP sort of pulse. So we have these bullets that have that we can aim towards people and and things like aircraft carriers and they would have an EMP effect. Uh, aircraft carriers are awesome tools of warfare, but in modern hot warfare, when high-tech missiles are exchanged, aircraft carriers are sitting ducks. Their entire purpose is to sit there and get the planes in the air. Then they will probably be destroyed and sunk, unfortunately. Uh, But with the EMPs, we get a different sort of story. Uh, There's a potential that EMPs can take out the planes by disabling their electronics. Uh, What can EMPs do to, for example, aircraft in the air? So we are fortunate to some extent that aircrafts would not fly without some hardening to electromagnetic pulses because they have to be hardened to things like lightning. Lightning, of course, is basically a natural phenomenon that creates electromagnetic pulse. Mm -hmm. So, of course, now the people creating an electromagnetic pulse would know that these aircraft have some hardening to lightning. And probably, I imagine, electromagnetic pulse, because if we're talking about military vehicles, or are we talking about passenger? No, we're talking about military vehicles, yes. Okay, so when it comes to military, they already do build a lot of that. There's various military standards. But are they still vulnerable to electromagnetic pulses if they were made to directly target them? Yes, and, and, and they are particularly vulnerable, right, because they're in the air. And if their electronics just stopped working, especially for something like a helicopter uh, that doesn't have any sort of like natural help to stay in the air, uh, it would just fall out of the sky. Like a rock. Yes. One of the other things that we have uh, in the military in our tool chest is submarines. And they are probably the most stealth of all warfare tools. They are under the water and you can't use radar on them because electromagnetics doesn't go through water. I've heard it described as the same thing as a laser pointer shined through a glass of chocolate milk. It doesn't go very deep into the chocolate milk. It just attenuates and nothing happens. That's a reason that we use sonar underwater as opposed to radar. So the question arises now, will EMPs work on a submarine? Will submarines be disabled by EMP blasts? The answer to that is generally if they're under the water, they'll probably have some shielding and have some protection. 
However, there is some vulnerability that someone could know with knowledge, create an EMP that could possibly affect a submarine. For example, when a submarine is surfaced, that is not its natural state from a design standpoint. And then it, for example, if some people were like out on the deck while it's surfaced or something, then you have more openings and also like uh, a direct path that is not, we'll call the water having the way you said, uh, sort of a shielding effect, if you will. It doesn't have the water to shield it from that electromagnetic energy. So if it is surfaced or possibly like if they knew while the periscopes? Yeah, periscopes. Oh, now that's. So let's talk about periscopes. If it was, if there was a periscope, could the electromagnetic pulse go down the periscope and hit the submarine? It, it possibly could. It would depend on how the periscope is designed. I'm certain that there's some really smart folks designing submarines, a group of folks, if you will. So they probably do think about things like that. But it could be designed. Or for example, uh, perhaps you could create a missile that is not designed to actually do damage to the submarine, but just get close enough to the submarine such that you could make it subject to an electromagnetic pulse. Now, the thing that we have naturally working for us in the case of a submarine and hardening towards electromagnetic pulses is the fact that it's just a big metal box that like in order to survive the pressures of the water, it's basically like welded and connected really well. Well, it turns out that that also makes a really excellent shield to an electromagnetic pulse. But if you could pierce it just a little bit, say not enough damage to like sink the submarine, but pierce it enough to get inside that shell, then you could create create an electromagnetic pulse that went off to affect the electronics. So they're a little more immune than, for example, airplanes, but there could be a possibility for a creative electromagnetic pulse that could affect a submarine, but highly unlikely. There are lots of other easier ways to affect it. That's fascinating. We have a uh, colleague at Baylor, uh, Dr. Eric Blair, who served on a nuclear power submarine. And he would go down under the water for long periods of time, total blackout, no news, no communication. And nobody knows where these um, where these submarines are at. It is incredibly stealth. I want to talk about swarms uh, a little bit. One of the things that I raised in my book, The Case for Killer Robots, is the most chilling, I think, of uh, application of artificial intelligence. And that is autonomous swarms of drones. And the problem with swarms is they're hard to destroy. You go kick over an anthill and you stomp and kill most of the ants. You come back in a week and that anthill is rebuilt. You got to get them all in order to destroy the total, the total anthill, the total uh, swarm. It's the same thing with swarms of attacking drones. You have to get them all. And if a few sneak through, they can still accomplish the mission. And if they're autonomous, it's really scary stuff. If you want to get some chills on what swarms can do, watch the movie Angel Has Fallen with Morgan Freeman as the president. It has, in the beginning, an attack of one of these drone swarms. So how do you defend against these things? Well, one of the things you can do is have dogfights, that is, launch your own defensive swarm and have them go up and engage these drones one at a time. But I tell you, doing that would require some really heavy technology. 
and would be very expensive to do. Israel has developed a laser weapon that can take a drone out of the sky, but one drone at a time. So you'd need a lot of these laser weapons to take the drones out of the sky. And I always wonder how these laser weapons would work on a cloudy day. I'm not sure what they do. I now, think they'd have troubles. They would have troubles. Now, Sarah and I, Dr. Sigwin and I talked way before it was announced that Russia had come up with a solution. She had the idea of using EMP weapons. Now, this would not be a thermonuclear explosion. This would be like a, I believe, like a super ray gun that you could point towards a swarm and totally disable them. So, Sarah, how how would a ray gun that you could aim at a drone a swarm and take out all the drone swarm, how, how would that work? Do, do you think they would be effective? I think that they could be effective, but they it'll be generally probably have to be in very close range, I think, of the drone swarm. Oh, because of the attenuation of the beam as it goes out? That's correct. The spreading, because, okay. Yeah, yeah, because as it propagates, it's it's going to attenuate quite a bit. What's interesting is that it's definitely possible, but and you could just say that you don't or you aren't concerned with the uh, biological cost. So definitely at these high levels, a human, if they were exposed to this or animals, uh, would probably have some effect because they're literally just like radiating a large amount of electromagnetic energy towards this. And in general, because it's not associated with an explosion, they probably have to give it a larger amount of exposure time to induce the currents to cause um, these electronics to fault. I see. So then you're like, well, obviously, like there's a human cost if you're under attack from a drone swarm, right? <laughs> and there's a worry of, of various assets that you want to protect. But also to create that amount of energy, um, you can definitely direct it, but it's, it's only so directional as anybody knows who's tried to shield electromagnetic energy. It's definitely, or try to propagate it, it's still going to propagate behind it and around it. So I think that it is possible to create a weapon. Um, of course, it's a lot easier to create one if you know the specific vulnerabilities of the drone. But the idea is, is that you need a defensive system that doesn't know the vulnerabilities of the drone. Okay. And, and then the, in the next uh, step of the arms race, it would be hardening the drones. But hardening the drones would increase the weight and therefore the mobility and the time that the drones can spend in the air, right? Yeah. Yeah. One easy thing that you can do, for example, what they do now to airplanes that are made out of carbon composite to help harden them for lightning, for example, is they use metallized paint. And so that is definitely one thing you can do is sort of like, if you will, spray paint. It's a little bit more complex than that because you need a certain amount to shield, et cetera, et cetera. But if you were to basically use um, conductive paint on these, but even that for a drone, which in general is going to be extremely light, that's going to add an amount of weight that might not be acceptable as well. So I think the idea with a swarm is that you just build a bunch of cheap things that in general, like, you know, it's vulnerabilities, but it'd be very hard to, for example, with 
a directed electromagnetic energy that you could bring them all down with. So it's about overwhelming the weapon. Oh my goodness. You know, I mentioned that you and I had talked about this a while back and uh, we're, we're beginning to think seriously about it. It was totally your idea. But then there was a Forbes article entitled Russia has developed an EMP weapon against a drone swarm. So Russia has developed your idea. And I'm not sure if the United States has something equivalent, but I certainly hope so, because this is uh, this is chilling stuff. Again, the drone swarm, I think, the autonomous unmanned drone swarm is one of the most chilling applications of artificial intelligence and warfare, because it's going to be very hard to defend against. I read one military expert that says they can expect up to, I think this might be a little bit of hyperbole, but he said up to a million uh, elements in a drone swarm, which is... Astonishing. Really? Yes, that yes. That is astonishing. And, uh, you know, how do you do them? You can't do them one at a time. You can't do a defensive one-on-one dogfight with all of the uh, all of the elements in the swarm. So the EMP sounds like a great solution. It's like having a bug spray. You know, you can go step on the ants one at a time, and that takes forever. Or you could go spray the anthill with some insect killer and kill them all at once. That's what the EMP would do. And that would be that would be astonishing. I... I was really impressed with that solution because autonomous drone swarms have been worrying me for quite some time. So, Well, and Raytheon, and this is all in the open literature articles you can search, Raytheon has actually developed directed energy weapons. One of the most famous ones that's easy to Google is um, they have a crowd control weapon, which I don't believe was ever actually uh, implemented as a crowd control weapon, but it was developed. Okay, you got to tell me, how, how, how do we do crowd control with an EMP device? What, what would be the effect? It's not using an EMP. What it's using is directed energy that's at a frequency that actually causes to feel like your skin is itching. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I got to find out the frequency for that. That would be a fun trick to play on your colleagues. So it, <laughs> like all great technology, like microwaves, I'm sure it was discovered by accident, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I can't remember the frequency. I apologize. But yes, they have a directed energy crowd control weapon, if you will. But I don't think it's actually been implemented, at least in the US. Um, but I did find some articles that talked about how the military is pushing various contractors to do more directed energy weapons. So I, I sincerely hope that they um, are working on it as well, and it's just really quiet, and it just got out with Russia. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of this development, I'm sure, is classified. So hopefully, the United States, with all of the accelerated emphasis on the military infrastructure, is looking at this. And I know both you and I, Sarah, work with research offices on unclassified material from the Army and the Navy. And uh, I tell you, working with these people is just wonderful. We do no classified work currently, but uh, these people are very focused on getting tools to the American warfighter and are very impressive people. Yeah, we have some really brilliant researchers and technologists working in the United States to develop great tools. We do. And they just need to be set free and they are going to develop great countermeasures to some of these chilling weapons. 
Well, thank you, Sarah. That has been a fascinating chat. Our, our guest today has been Dr. Sarah Sigwin, an electrical engineer who specializes in electromagnetic compatibility and in the area of EMPs. So until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.